chapter twenty of asphodel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. asphodel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter twenty all suddenly she swept adown to ground the second week of january was half over and it was the night of the hunt ball what girl of eighteen were her breast ever so gnawed by secret cark and care could refrain from giving way to some excitement upon the occasion of her first dance and that a dance which was to be danced by all warwickshire's beauty and chivalry a dance as distinguished from a local standpoint as that famous assembly in belgium's capital which was scared by the thunder of distant guns the prelude of instant war daphne gave herself up wholly to the delight of the hour she had been unusually cheerful and equable in her temper since new year's day that parental blessing freely and ungrudgingly given seemed to have sweetened her whole nature she went to church with madeline and prayed with all her heart and soul and listened without impatience to a string of seasonable platitudes called from the elder divines and pronounced in a humdrum style of elocution by the reverend marmaduke ferrers she had been altogether blameless in her bearing and her conduct in this new-fledged year so much so that mrs ferrers had deigned to concede with chilly patronage that daphne was beginning to become a reasonable being she had been fighting her inward battle honestly and bravely she had avoided as much as possible that society which was so poisonously sweet to her she had been less exacting to her devoted slave edgar she had given more time to improving studies she had taken up mendelssohn's leader and practised them industriously breathing ah too much soul into the pathetic passages dwelling too fondly on the deep ground swell of melody which carries a passionate heart along on its fierce tide and in its fervid feeling and exaltation of spirit is akin to the actual triumph of a happy love unconscious of the danger and resolutely bent on curing herself of a futile foolish attachment she yet fed her passion with the fatal food of poetry and music finding in every heroine she most admired from juliet to enid a love as inevitably doomed to misery as her own but all the while she was earnest in her desire to forget if my namesake in the pride of her purity could fly from a god who adored her surely can it be hard for me to harden my heart against a man who does not care a straw for me she told herself scornfully the day of the hunt ball brought pleasure enough to thrust aside every other thought miss piper had done as well as if she had been born and bred in paris daphne's white satin gown fitted the slim and supple figure to perfection it was not the ivory tint of late years but that exquisite pearly white with a blackish tint in the shadows which one sees in old pictures daphne with her wavy hair coiled at the back of her 
beautifully shaped head and with just one spray of staphanotis nestling in the coils looked like a juliet painted by sir joshua it was juliet's dress as juliet used to be dressed by actresses of an age less given to the research of correctness and elaboration in costume the single string of pearls on the pearly neck the bodice modestly draping the lovely shoulders the round white arms peeping from elbow sleeves of satin and lace the long loose gloves the slender feet in white satin sandal shoes meant for dancing not in those impossible high-heeled instruments of torture which parisian bootmakers have inflicted on weak women all had something of an old-fashioned air but it was a very lovely old-fashioned and madeline was delighted with the result rather outre don't you think said mrs ferrers sourly contemplative of daphne's fresh young beauty which made her own complexion look so much yellower than usual when she happened to glance across the girl's shoulder at her own face in the big cheval glass a little too suggestive of kate greenaway's baby books she was trying to settle herself in her panoply of state a gorgeous arrangement in ruby velvet and cream-coloured satin which the little frenchwoman in the rue vivienne had only sent off in time to reach mrs ferrers two hours ago after keeping her in an agony of mind for the last three days it was a very splendid gown so slashed and draped and festooned that it was a mystery how it could ever be put together the velvet cuirass was laced up the back with thick gold cord and fitted like a straight waistcoat and the ruby scarf was fringed with heavy bullion which drooped above a stormy sea of cream-coloured satin that went billowing and surging round the lady's legs till it met a long narrow streak of ruby velvet lined with satin which meandered for about twelve feet along the floor that mrs ferrers must be a nuisance to herself and everybody else in such a dress no one in their senses could doubt but then on the other hand the gown was undoubtedly in the latest fashion and was one which must evoke a pang of envy in every female breast i don't wonder you look disdainfully at my short petticoats aunt rhoda said daphne smiling at the effect of her sandaled ankles as she pirouetted before the looking-glass but i think when it comes to dancing i shall be better off than you with your velvet train i am not likely to dance much answered mrs ferrers with dignity indeed as a clergyman's wife i don't know that i shall dance at all then you will have to sit with your train coiled round your feet to prevent people walking on it and that will be worse retorted daphne it was a clear cold night with a brilliant moon a glorious night for a country drive frosty but not severe enough to make the road slippery besides boiler and crock were the kind of horses that nobody hesitates to have roughed on occasion sir vernon had decided on escorting his daughters to the ball it was a sacrifice of his own ease and comfort but he felt that the occasion required it i shall stay an hour he said and then rogers can drive me home and go back to fetch you later it won't hurt the horses going over the ground a second time dear father said madeline it is so good of you to go with us 
and now after a reviving cup of tea and careful wrapping in fur-lined cloaks and shetland shawls the three ladies and sir vernon conveyed themselves into the roomy landau and were soon bowling along the smooth high road towards stratford what a transformed and glorified place the little town seemed to-night all lights and people and loud and authoritative constabulary such an array of fiery-eyed carriages three abreast in the wide street in front of the red horse such a block in the narrower regions about the town hall so much confusion despite of such loud endeavours to maintain order it seemed to daphne as if they were going to sit in the carriage all night with the humbler townsfolk peering in at them from the pavement and making critical remarks to each other in painfully distinct voices ain't the fair one pretty the dark one's the handsomest my eye look at the old lady's diamonds that's lord willerby no it ain't stupid i see the coronet on the carriage my what lovely hair she's got white satin ain't it and so on while coronets and violins sounded in the distance with distracting melody it'll be dreadful if we have to sit in the street quite all the evening said daphne listening hopelessly to the voice of authority with its perpetual move on coachman they waited about twenty minutes and then slowly drove up to the doorway where the eager faces of the crowd made a hedge on each side difficult to believe that this entrance hall luminous with lamps and bright flowers was the same which gave admittance to such prosaic beings as town clerks and vestrymen justices of the peace and policemen edgar and gerald were both hovering near the doorway waiting for the south hill party edgar at the risk of being accused of deserting his mother whom he had established in a comfortable corner of the ballroom and then incontinently left to her own reflections or to such conversation as she might be able to find among sundry other dowagers arrived at the same wallflower stage of existence i thought you were never coming said edgar offering daphne his arm and in a manner appropriating her i thought we were going to spend the evening in the street answered daphne gerald gave his arm to madeline sir vernon followed with his sister whose high-heeled louis quinze shoes matched her gown to perfection but were not adapted for locomotion happily she was a light and active figure and managed to trip up the broad oak stairs somehow though she felt as if her feet had been replaced by the primitive style of wooden leg the mere dot and go one drumstick with which the chelsea pensioner used to be accommodated before the days of elaborate mechanical arrangements in cork and metal the ballroom was already crowded the south hill party having arrived late by special desire of aunt rhoda who strongly objected to be among those early comers who roam about empty halls dejectedly taking the chill off the atmosphere for the late arrivals dancing was in full swing and the assembly in the big ballroom made a blaze of colour against the delicate french grey walls the pink of the fox-hunters and the uniforms of the officers from warwick and coventry showing vividly amongst the pale and airy drapery of their partners there were more than two hundred in the room already edgar told daphne as he pointed out the more striking features of the scene i dare say there'll be near three hundred before midnight he said it's going to be a grand affair only once in two years you see people save themselves up for it a lot of fellows in pink aren't they 
yes why didn't you wear a scarlet coat it's much prettier than black do you really think so if i'd known faltered edgar but i felt sure you would have laughed at me if i'd sported the swallow-tail i wear at hunt dinners sometimes i dare say i should daphne answered coolly but you'd have looked ever so much nicer all the same edgar felt regretful he had debated with himself that question of pink or no pink and the thought of daphne's possible ridicule had turned the scale in favour of sober black and now she told him he would have looked better in the more distinctive garb and there were fellows who could hardly jump a drain-pipe showing off in their pool or small page coats and giving themselves nimrod airs which imposed upon the sweet simplicity of their partners the room was a noble room long and lofty divided from a spacious antechamber by a wide square doorway supported by classic pillars over this doorway was the open gallery for the band the ballroom was lighted by a large central chandelier and two sunburners in the ceiling while from lyre-shaped medallions on the walls projected modern gas brackets in imitation of old-fashioned girandole of the wax-candle period there were four full-length portraits on the walls the duke of dorset by romney a portrait of queen anne as uninteresting as that harmless lady was in the flesh the remaining two pictures had to do with the local divinity one was gainsborough's portrait of garrick leaning against the bust of shakespeare the other was the poet seated in his habit as he lived by wilson you see said gerald close behind daphne there is the warwickshire idol one can't get away from him why can these bucolics worship nothing but the intellectual emanation of their soil why not a little homage to muscular christianity in the person of guy earl of warwick a paladin of the first water a man who rescued damsels and fought with giants and dun cows and was strong and brave and faithful pious self-sacrificing devoted in every act of his life there is a hero worthy of worship yet you all ignore him and bow down before this golden calf of a dramatist who sued his friend for a twopenny loan and left the wife of his bosom a second-best bedstead a paltry fellow beside guy the hero hermit living on bread and water and only revealing himself at his death to the wife he adored guy was a very nice person if one could quite believe in the giant and the dun cow said daphne i believe implicitly in colbrand the giant answered gerald but i own i have never been able to swallow the monster cow and i am all the more inclined to repudiate her because her bones were on view at warwick in shakespeare's time and it is very sweet of him to end his days so quietly in the hermit's cave at guy's cliff pursued daphne who was well versed in all warwickshire lore chiefly by oral instruction from edgar and to take alms from his own wife every morning as one of the thirteen beggars she was in the habit of relieving though i have never quite understood why he did it but in spite of all these grand acts of guise we know nothing of the man himself while shakespeare is like one's brother he has sounded the deep of every mind and has given us the treasures of his own i suspect he would rather have given anything than his money retorted gerald they had penetrated to mrs turchill's corner by this time that matron was looking the picture of disconsolate solitude the dowager with whom she had been talking about her servants and her tradespeople having left her to look after a brace of somewhat go-ahead daughters 
who in pale blue silk jerseys and tight cream-coloured cashmere skirts looked very much as if they were attired for some acrobatic performance i'm so glad you have come exclaimed poor mrs turchill brightening at the sight of madeline the room is dreadfully crowded and there are so many strangers this was said resentfully no stranger having any more right to be present from mrs turchill's point of view than pentheus at his mother's party i feel as if i hardly knew a creature here oh mother when there are the hilldrops and the westerns and the hilliers and the perkinses remonstrated edgar running over a string of names all i can say is that if there are any of my friends in the room no one has taken the trouble to bring them to me retorted mrs turchill and for any enjoyment i have had from the society of my friends i might as well be at that horrid academy conversazione for which you took so much trouble to get tickets the year before last and where i was jammed into a corner of the sculpture room half the evening with rude young women sitting upon me here sir vernon and mrs ferrers approached and mrs turchill resumed her company smile in honour of people of such importance aunt rhoda had been exchanging greetings with the cream of the county people during her leisurely progress through the rooms and felt that her gown was a success and that the little woman in the rue vivienne was worthy of her hire everybody was looking at daphne her youth and freshness her vivid smiles and natural girlish animation as she conversed now with edgar and anon with gerald fascinated every one it was a manner entirely without reserve yet with no taint of forwardness or coquetry the manner of a happy child whose sum of life was bounded by the delight of the moment rather than of a woman conscious of her loveliness and knowing herself admired who is that pretty girl in the white satin frock the girl like an old picture people were asking somewhat to the annoyance of older stagers in the beauty trade who felt that here was a new business opened which threatened competition stock in trade of the best quality and perfectly fresh one young lady whose charms had suffered the wear and tear of seven seasons contemplated daphne languidly through her eyeglass and summed her up with scornful brevity as the little gainsborough girl quite too lovely for the next six months said another but her beauty depends entirely on her complexion a year hence she will have lost all that brightness and will be a very wishy-washy little person and then i'll suppose she'll paint as the others do don't you know drawled her partner carmine her lips and all that sort of thing the lady looked at him suspiciously out of the corner of a carefully darkened eyelid let us hope she won't sink quite so low as that she said with dignity there was no doubt as to daphne's triumph before she had been an hour in the room she was the acknowledged belle of the ball people went out of their way to look at her she walked once round the rooms on her father's arm and in that slow and languid progress held as it were her first court it was her first public appearance her father's friends clustered round him eager to be presented to the debutants stately dowagers begged that she might be made known to them all the best people in the room knew sir vernon and all professed a friendly desire to know his younger daughter her card was full before she knew what she was doing our little daphne is a success said gerald to his betrothed as they glided round the room in a languorous all the apollos are running after her i am so glad dear child it is such a pleasure to see her happy answered madeline softly 
i hope her head won't be turned by all this adulation it is such a poor little puff-ball of a head i sometimes fancy she has thistle-down inside it instead of brains indeed dear she has plenty of sense and serious feeling remonstrated madeline wounded by this allegation but she is painfully sensitive she needs very tender treatment poor butterfly do you like her dress it is simply perfect your taste of course yes she let me have my own way in the matter and as a reward she is looking her loveliest it is not the calm beauty of a princess like my lena's but for a spoiled child kind of prettiness capricious mutinous variable there could be nothing better later he was at daphne's side as she sat in a corner by her aunt with half a dozen young men hovering near edgar nearest of all holding her fan i suppose you have saved at least one dance for me empress he said taking her programme from her hand i don't know all sorts of people have been writing down their names all sorts of people echoed gerald examining the card you will be a little more respectful about your partners in your seventh or eighth season why here under various hieroglyphics are the very topmost strawberries in the social basket masters of foxhounds eldest sons of every degree majors and colonels and not one little waltz left for me i claim you for the first extra i am rather afraid i am engaged for the extras no matter you were solemnly engaged to me for one particular waltz when first this ball was spoken of at south hill you don't remember perhaps but i do i claim my bond i will be a very shylock in the exaction of my due if you were a better shakespearean it would occur to you that shylock got nothing retorted daphne smiling up at him he was an old idiot remember the first extra valse we shall meet at philippi he was off to claim lena for the lancers it was the last dance before supper sir vernon had disappeared ever so long ago mrs ferrers was standing up with a major of dragoons in all the splendour of his uniform and felt that she and her partner made an imposing picture edgar and daphne were sitting out this square dance on the stairs the girl somewhat exhausted by much waltzing the man exalted to the seventh heaven of bliss at being permitted to bear her company may i take you down to supper he asked thanks no my last partner the man in the red coat clinton shetwind master of the harrowby harriers interjected edgar told me that the best dancing will be when two-thirds of the people are gormandizing downstairs you can get me an ice if you like edgar obeyed but when he came back with the ice daphne had vanished from the landing and he got himself entangled in a block of people struggling down to supper the rooms below those solemn halls in which on ordinary occasions the local offender stood at the bar of justice to answer for his misdeeds were now a scene of glitter and gaiety flower wreathed erpeña barley sugar pagodas and all the tinselly splendour of a ball supper bar and bench and magisterial chairs had vanished as if by magic the magistrate's private apartment and the justice hall had been thrown into one spacious banqueting chamber where even the proverbial greediness of the best society the people who tread upon each other's toes and rush for the grapes and peaches at buckingham palace might be satisfied without undue scrambling but though there would have been room for him at the banquet and although there were any number of eligible young ladies waiting to be taken down edgar scorned the idea of a supper which daphne did not care for 
to have sat by her squeezed into some impossible corner of a rout seat to have fought for lobster salad for her and guarded her frock from the ravages of awkward people and pulled cracker bonbon with her would have been bliss but the festal board without her would be every whit as funereal a banquet as the famous sable feast at which that cheerful practical joker domitian entertained his courtiers mr turchill found a good-natured fox-hunter to take his mother down and having seen that lady's silver-grey satin newly done up with violet velvet by miss piper for the occasion making its deliberate way down the broad staircase on the sportsman's sturdy scarlet arm edgar went back to the almost empty ballroom where about fifteen or twenty couples were revolving to the last sugary sweet german waltz glaubst du nicht daphne and gerald were amongst these madeline was sitting with some girl-friend in the entrance of one of the windows and to this point edgar made his way you've not been down to supper he remarked by way of saying something original do you know i don't much care about going down if gerald particularly wishes it i shall go after this dance but i think i should enjoy a sandwich and a cup of tea when i get home better than the scramble downstairs the waltzers were dropping off by degrees but gerald and daphne still went on revolving with gliding languid steps to the dreamy melody they moved in exquisite harmony although this was the first time they had ever waltzed together never in the twilight dances at south hill had mr goring asked daphne to be his partner he had been content to stand outside in the porch smoking his cigarette and looking on while she and edgar waltzed or to take a few lazy turns afterwards with madeline to daphne's music to-night for the first time his arm encircled her her sunlit head rested against his shoulder it seemed to him that his hand had never clasped hers since that summer day at fontainebleau just a year and a half ago when they had stood by the golden water with the hungry-eyed carp watching them and a sky of molten gold above their heads they had been far apart since that day dissevered by an impalpable abyss and now for the moment they were one united by that love-sick melody their pulses stirred by the same current was it strange that in such a moment gerald goring forgot all the world except this perfect flower of youth and girlhood which he held in his arms forgot his betrothed wife and all her grace and beauty lived for the moment and in the moment only as butterflies live with a past not worth remembering and annihilation for their only future as the dancers dropped off the band played slower and slower meaning to expire in a rallentando and those two waltzers gliding round drifted unawares into the outer and smaller room where there was no one glaubst du nicht sighed the band glaubst du nicht ach liebchen glaubst du nicht and with the last sigh of the melody gerald bent his lips over daphne's golden hair and breathed a word into her ear only one word wrung from him in despite of himself but that one word so breathed from such lips was all the history of a passionate love which had been fought against in vain the last sigh of the music faded as the word was spoken and daphne was standing by her partner's side white as ashes take me back to my sister please he gave her his arm without a word and they walked slowly across to the group by the window but before madeline could make room for daphne to sit by her side the girl tottered and would have fallen if edgar had not caught her in his arms she is fainting he cried alarmed some water brandy something he wrenched open the window still holding daphne on his left arm the frosty night air blew in upon them keen and cold 
daphne's white lips trembled and the dark gray eyes opened and looked round with a bewildered expression as she sank slowly into the seat beside madeline whose arms were supporting and embracing her my darling you have danced too much you have over-excited yourself said lena tenderly while three or four smelling-bottles came to the rescue yes that last dance was too much faltered daphne cold and trembling in her sister's arms but i am quite well now lena it was nothing the heat of the room and you are tired we'll go home directly we can find aunt rhoda i'll go and hunt for her said gerald who had been standing vacantly looking on his brain on fire his heart beating tumultuously the vulture conscience gnawing his vitals already he had been thinking of rousseau's julie and that first kiss given in the basquet the fatal first kiss the beginning of all evil my sweeter julie so much more lovely so much more innocent he thought as he went slowly downstairs in quest of the ruby velvet arrangement which contained mrs ferrers god give me grace to respect your purity the winter wind rushed into the heated ballroom with a sharp chill breath that was suggestive of another and a colder world like the deadly air from a vault and soon steadied daphne's reeling brain you see i am not such a good waltzer as i thought i was she said looking up at edgar with a sickly smile i did not think anything could make me giddy you would rather go home now would you not dear asked madeline you have had enough of the ball more than enough let me fetch your wraps from the cloak-room said edgar it will save you a good deal of trouble if you would be so very kind delighted give me your ticket seventy-nine all under one number i suppose he ran off and this time had to stem the tide setting in towards the ballroom the young men and maidens who had eaten their supper and were eager for more dancing coming back with a pile of cloaks and shawls on his arm he joined gerald and mrs ferris her red-coated major still in attendance what can daphne mean by making a spectacle of herself at her first ball asked aunt rhoda not a little aggrieved at being ruthlessly dragged away from a knot of the very best people a little group of privileged ones which included a countess and two baronets wives but it is just like her there was no affection in the matter i can assure you said edgar indignantly she looked as white as death then she should have danced less i detest any exhibition of that kind i am very glad my brother was not here to see it i think sir vernon has had so much reason to be proud of his daughter this evening that he would readily have forgiven her iniquity in fainting retorted edgar his blood at boiling point from honest indignation daphne wrapped in a long white cashmere cloak lined with white fur looked very pale and ghost-like as she went slowly through the rooms on edgar's arm attacked on her way by the reproaches of the partners with whom she was breaking faith by this untimely departure i'm awfully sorry she said with a faint touch of her natural gaiety but i'll pay my debts this time two years the engagements can stand over when the biannual hunt ball comes round at stratford-on-avon there are some perhaps who will remember her promise and the pale pathetic face and white-robed figure five minutes later the three ladies were seated in their carriage mrs ferrers still grumbling while edgar lingered at the door adjusting daphne's wraps just as he was going to shut the door having no excuse for further delay daphne took his hand and clasped it with friendly warmth 
how good you are she said softly looking up at him with eyes that to his mind seemed lovelier than all the lights of the firmament infinitely glorious on this frosty night in the steel-blue sky how good you are how staunch and true it was only well-merited praise but it moved him so deeply that he had no power to answer even by the smallest word he could only grasp the slender little hand fervently in his own and then shut the carriage door with a bang as if to drown the tumult of his own heart home coachman he called in a choking voice an entirely superfluous mandate neither coachman nor footman nor horses having the least idea of going anywhere else End of chapter twenty